Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of the Kitabi Karwan podcast. Today we have with us Gurmehar Kaur, the ferocious author of Small Acts of Freedom and The Young and the Restless. I'm sure a lot of you have read her books, but join me for this really interesting conversation that I had with her with absolutely great insights into the workings of this really amazing young author. So without any further ado, here we go. Hi, Gurmehar, and welcome everyone to another episode of the Kitabi Karwan podcast. We have with us Gurmehar Kaur. Uh, I'm sure all of you know her. Uh, she has written this really, really uh, heart-touching book, if I may put it that way, uh, titled Small Acts of Freedom. And uh, yeah, so Gurmehar, welcome to the podcast. No, Sadhar, thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for the brilliant introduction. I'm very excited for this conversation. Okay, so Gurmeer, uh, I have a question which I typically ask literally to every author who I interview. Uh, tell us something about you which we won't find on the internet or like on in the bio of your books. Oh my God, that I think a lot. I feel like I have a whole personality <laughs> that you won't find on the internet. Um, really? Oh, 100%. 100%. I think that's, uh, that's what all my <laughs> friends tell me. Because I think a lot okay. of my work is either very sad or very political. Um, right. but I I don't think I'm a sad person that way, uh, or <laughs> or that political or angry. Um, so I okay. guess maybe maybe that. But yeah, I I I have a completely different personality that you do not find on the internet, and it's a little bit sad. But yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, maybe one thing about this different personality that we don't find on the internet. <laughs> um. Well, okay, well, okay. I have, I think, I think one thing that people don't know about me is that uh, I think I'm a very funny person and, ha- and I have some of the funniest, like the most ridiculous um, dating stories. Huh. That does sound like most 20-year-olds today. So, I mean, it's great to know, like, even authors and, like, politically inclined authors who's as in your words, have a sad online presence or are depicted sad, have yeah. interesting dating stories. <laughs> but yeah, okay, I have so- some of the most ridiculous ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I won't tell you about it, but I, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. I'm not going to probe you about your dating stories, but yeah. uh, le- let me just put it across as like a fellow 25-year-old man. Uh, I think literally everyone in their 20s just have like this crazy dating experience now, or like, at least a, a lot of them. And yeah. yep, and it just feels great, you know. So that just pivots me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. Was so as you mentioned, right? You have this entire political persona, right? right that you are very politically opinionated, and you know you were always talking about serious things. And it's a great thing that you do. I mean, I follow you on uh, social media, and I constantly see you uh, posting about issues that need to be spoken about, or voicing your opinion about things that matter. And I mean, just knowing this, this one tiny bit, right? Like even you have yeah. ridiculous dating stories is it just kind of, if I may put it this way, kind of humanizes mm-hmm. the entire process because when you read about an author or like, you know, and in today's world, when you just like follow them on the yeah. internet and follow their lives, you just, they just appear to be like this out of the world people who have like this entirely different persona and like, yeah. I don't know outside of human experiences despite them writing a lot about it i mean like your book yeah like speaks a lot about those emotions which brings me to that 
um i i read a lot of your book i back i was just about to finish it uh, yesterday but i couldn't but something that really appealed to me was the way you wrote that book i mean it was mm-hmm. unlike a lot of other literature which we read to the extent yeah. that it has simple but like hard hitting sentences and yeah. like in your formation structure so if if like i know you might have been asked mm-hmm. this question multiple times but did you ever feel uh, pressured to kind of you know con- conform with certain kinds of literary styles or like writing maybe a book oh. which was i i mean i'm not, not uh, really. no hmm. i don't think i don't think there was ever a moment where i where i wanted to um where i wanted to conform to anybody's literary style i think one thing that i was very certain um was that i wanted to keep the voice um so the voice of the protagonist as a 3 year old child and then slowly right. growing up um right. and and as and as the ch- child grows up to complicate the sentences um right. with age um but mm-hmm. even then you know even then my 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 i mean you haven't you haven't reached that part yet uh, but the but 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 you only hear 16 year old gurmeher's voice um which is still not very formed which is still not very complex it's still right. um you know it's still it's still very raw um and i think that's something that i wanted to do just because i think it's very powerful to read um to read about stories from a child's perspective i think it's mm-hmm. one thing to it's one thing to say this happened to a child but i think it's completely another when you hear it and see see it from their um their point of view um and i wasn't and i think and i think i wasn't i wasn't very i think one one i knew i couldn't copy anybody else's style uh, right. because you can do that for like a paper or an essay or right. or a two you know a 2000 word um project or a workshop right, right? but you can't right. but you can't sustain that for a full book it's just not sustainable um right. and you have to trust your own voice i think i was very certain about that no and that app makes absolute sense i mean i think uh, more i've had the fortune or of reading some of the best books in people's own voices and also interviewing authors and i think that's the common thread all of them share that mm-hmm. uh, a core part of their process is staying true to your voice and not yeah. bowing into like i know conformist pressure of yeah. i know trying to give it this little shape because this is something uh, this something i i've noticed particularly uh, in like say the reading community particularly like a more privileged reading community that there is a certain way of judging writing right i mean you would yeah. judge a certain form of writing yeah. uh, and i i mean say if I, and i have been there like i i mean say like yeah. a few say in my first year of college i knew people and in fact i was one of those people who would say yeah. i know judge someone for reading a chetan bhagwat or maybe a turjoy yeah. dutta like you know simple structures yeah. stories with focus but just later on you mm-hmm. realize that you know it every author has their own voice the kind of yeah. story that they're putting forward think, and yeah and i think and i think especially when i started studying literature literature and and like i'm trained i'm trained in literature i'm not trained as a social like i'm now trained as a social scientist but when i was re, when i was working on my books uh that's what i that's what i knew themes forms structures um right. how to break a novel down how to um you know how to read it how to deconstruct it um how to put various uh you know um lens you know how to read it through various lens and i think there's one thing and you know as you as you study literature across ages um so we did we did your 19th century literature we did 
um, your Shakespeare's of the world. Uh, we did a lot of um, a lot of uh, a lot of post-independent independence um, new age Indian novel, and I think you realize that you know there's this the highbrow literary world uh, or or readers, not the literary world, but the highbrow literary readers who take a lot of pride in reading your classics um, come from a, come from a space of uh, you know they come from a space where they've been told that this is good work you know that your that this because it's a classic it's good and only this language you know and work is only good if it mimics that language but i think but i think when you look you know when you look around yourself and you look at the most um you know when you look at your contemporary novels you realize the most unique thing about them um, mm-hmm. You know, something that makes it special, something that makes it being a modern day classic, a present yeah. day, um, a present day, um, you know, literary phenomena is that it has a very, it has its own voice. And I think and a great example of it would be Sally Rooney. Uh, she writes right. short sentences, right. simple right. sentences. Um, it's a very simple story um, of mm-hmm. two teenagers. You know, it's, it's very much a young adult novel, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, but it's such brilliant commentary. Another another book that I read very similar is Exciting Times. Um, mm-hmm. Simple sentences, brilliant commentary. Um, and I think even and even literature has changed so much from uh, what we read as kids to what we are reading right now. Um, okay. That that you know to believe that only a certain sort of form structure um, is considered good. Is a bit. I think. I think it's a very shallow. Um, it's a very shallow reading of, uh, or very shallow. You know, that's a very shallow standard of critiquing any work, um, because it's very stagnant, and literature oh, I... isn't stagnant because, because it. You know, literature isn't stagnant because it. It talks about the world, and world isn't stagnant. So if you're using frameworks that belong that, you know, that you use to read. Um, that you know that you use to critique work from let's say 19th century that's mm-hmm. just that doesn't sit well that's not that doesn't make sense to me so yeah so i think i just wanted to do something true i wanted to be i wanted to just write in like my own voice like if that makes sense no it, it absolutely does and like i'm so glad you put this across in that really poignant way that literature reflects the world around you and the world can't be stagnant right and so literature can't be stagnant because uh, and also <laughs> i really uh, admire the way you actually broke this entire argument down because uh, this is a problem or actually not a problem as much as just a part of the discourse that's out there that you will find people who really need to be told this right i think it reflects a lot on the kind of privilege that exists in this country where a lot of people uh, assume or are like just born into families where uh, literature is not something that they explore or it's just something that they inherit mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean you you take up books that your parents read or you're you know guided into a more say a posher way of yeah. life by, and i think uh, and i think it's very world. no i know exactly what you're saying and i think it's mm-hmm. and, and it's often uh, and i think often that sort of reading and critique of literature is very classist and mm-hmm. racist it is. Um, it is. in a, in a way because you know because when you look at when you look at the look at the um when you look at the literary industry for the longest time it had been dominated by white men right 
right? So you only, so the only voice you hear from these in these classics are voices of rich white men. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't hear a female voice. You don't hear a black woman's voice. Uh, and when it comes to India, you only hear voices of, um, you know, upper caste, privileged people who can afford to write, who, um, who you know, who've been, uh, who can afford to write, who can, who have been born into families where they have literary connections. Um, you know, right. we're talking early. We're talking about early works, and, mm-hmm. and. And you know, it's only now that you see. Uh, you know, it's only now when you're reading. Um, you know, when you're reading current day works, right. how important it is to have diverse voices. Right. And just to like uh, pivot back to something that you mentioned earlier, right? I mean, the fact, the very fact that you appear to be political, and that's anything that kind of, as much as you might not like it, it is a part mm-hmm. of who you are as. I know somewhat of an author now because that is a voice that you hold and it's a very important one at that. And, I mean, and I, that's have, I mean, I love it. That's who I've always wanted to right. be. I think it's uh, right. as much a part of me as anything else. Um, I don't hate anything about it. Okay, so good uh, just, to, <laughs> just to come back to something lighter. Uh, yeah. What do you like to read? What what we know like the kind of stuff that you write, but mm-hmm. what is it that you love to read? It really depends on my mood. I'm a very moody reader, um, but I love. Uh, it depends. It depends. I love. I love reading theory sometimes. Um, okay. Most of the times, I think when I'm trying to make sense of the world um, mm. and what's happening in my own life, uh, I will read theory. Um, so, or I will read. I would. I would read a lot of nonfiction. I would read a lot of essays, uh, especially when I want to make sense of the world and make sense of what's happening and sort of find ways to articulate um, feelings, emotions, uh, what I see. And I think when I do want, when I do want, uh, when I do want something, not, and I think when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in a mood for just being entertained, I read a lot of, uh, I read a lot of literary fiction. I read a lot of uh, young people. Um, okay. I love, I love reading young people. I love reading okay. young female writers. Um, okay. So yeah, and okay. lots of love okay. stories, lots of romance. I I don't though, though the only thing is I, I I think I've outgrown I think I've outgrown romance novels, uh, a lot. Okay. Um, okay. Only because only because you know when when you've read enough when you know like I said I love reading theory you know when you've read enough uh, mm-hmm. feminist theory you can't quite enjoy a romance novel because they're so because just That's the cool. because just the structure of it. Um, right. it's so it becomes becomes very problematic. You start critiquing it, um, but I think there are often. But then, of course, there are wonderful, wonderful new books um, that are coming, right. um, which which you know deal with this uh, this sort of conundrum of young independent feminist women falling in love mm-hmm. and how do they navigate it. So I think those are the sort of books I really really enjoy reading just for myself. Okay, so Gurmeer, you have actually given me a very interesting question to ask you because mm-hmm. this is something I constantly grapple with right uh, so uh, I uh, when I went to law school uh, I was exposed to a lot of uh, th- like that uh, to be completely honest that's where I came in contact with feminist theory or uh, mm-hmm. the entire I mean the ability to study say something discrimination or racism and things like that yeah. and um, the other side being that uh, I've always been a huge Bollywood fan and that's something yeah. I had to grapple with big time in college because 
a lot of the things that i read uh may which appealed to me somehow just mm. did not fit in with what i you know what i termed as like my comfort movies or my comfort yeah. books because as you pointed out like a lot of them are just structurally problematic right i mean yeah. you can't really i mean it it becomes a very difficult stance to take when you say that you're an a feminist and also like ddlc right yeah and yeah. Um, and it's just and the unfortunate truth is that well i do i i mean i i still have to take that stance so i mean yeah. i'm assuming that that is something that you have to grapple with as well so is there like a rational explanation that you kind of what what's you the story you sell to yourself actually not people to yourself i really don't i mean that's yeah i mean i mean you can always come up with like excuses and reasoning that you can always you know elaborate to yeah. people but at the I end of it it just think, matters what you tell yourself i think when i when i read books or watch movies um mm-hmm. or any form of storytelling or um, you know books movies tv shows um i think i'm often not quite drawn to the story at large but i'm often drawn to yeah. characters um yeah. and their personal lives and struggles um and i think and i think and especially in that moment um yeah. so if you tell me you know if you tell me um if you tell me what do i like about edlj i think i i quite like i quite like this character of you know a young punjabi girl um you know taking permission from her parents going to europe and falling in love with a boy um and i quite i i i i like that journey uh and of course the whole movie and what it eventually sells um is is problematic that why why does one have to take permission from their father um you know why does this man you know this man is talking her this whole time and of course those are those are arguments that still that still hold but i think um but i think as a story i'm very drawn to character and people's lives and i think and and i think and i think and i think if li- you know when life is not devoid of um these structures um to expect your storytelling be devoid of them um is a bit um then what does then what sto- then what is storytelling like then what what story does one tell do you just tell stories from your utopian world right so i can always say that i don't like that i i don't like um or agree with the message that this movie um at the end like you know ends up giving that hello this is what love looks like but i do but i'm but i'm often very i'm very intrigued by journeys of characters and people um and how they navigate life and 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 yeah that's how i think i think i um explain it to myself so uh i mean I, that's something i again because i keep do, having this argument mm-hmm. in my head with myself so one of the biggest issues with that kind of arguments that i've often come up with is that like the idea that well that these are the kind of structures that exist and hence storytelling mm-hmm. of any art form right whether it's a movie or mm-hmm. a theater performance or like a book would reflect this kind of these structures which is true to a large extent but then that also becomes a huge problem because these are at the end of it art is consumed by society and uh, one might argue that these are the by ensuring that these structures are also reflected in your art form you are ensuring that these structures just don't go away right like uh, i think this was uh, this largely came up when i think in 2013 or 14 there was this movie ranjana yeah. i'm not too sure right oh so you heard right so i mean that was that was a classic argument 100%, of this right 100% 100% i think i think that's that's so true um um 
Yeah, no, I, I, I would, I would definitely agree with, uh, with what you just said. And I think, and I think here's the thing. Um, there's one thing for a movie to, you know, it's one thing to tell a story of of a society, and you, you often, you know, you see that. Well, let's say this latest, um, this latest movie that just came out called Sir. Um, mm-hmm. You know what it does is where it just depicts, um, you know, uh, where it just depicts an everyday. Um, where it where it depict where it shows you these structures existing, right? But doesn't sell it as good to you. Or oh, whereas right. whereas in right. PDLJ it sells you that oh this is romance right. and this is right. what's right. um what's uh, what's at you know this is what's um, this is what you know your life should this is ideal and this is what your life should look like. Um, right. And I think and I think that that definitely needs to be called out. Um, but I often also think that when I go back and see um, the moment in time um, in which uh, well this movie was situated, um, we, you know when we think about because it's a romantic movie, so let's talk about love and the politics of love in India. I think the okay. the moment of time that this movie was situated, um, your your everyday, you know the biggest that the fact that these people are or like this woman has a choice and is exercising that choice to marry the man she loved can be seen as emancipatory right or it can be maybe maybe for young women in, in you know maybe young women watching it back in the 90s um in their in who who you know who you who who have been told for a very long time that uh, you're going to when you grow up, you know your father's going to find a boy for you, and you're eventually right. going to marry them, and and that's your normal, right? So when you see a young woman traveling on their own and finding a boy, and then find, finally you know having this massive fight, because to even like to even fight your parents or to even mm-hmm. um, take steps into wanting to achieve that sort of um, mm-hmm. you know wanting to achieve achieve that relationship is um, it takes, you know, it it like it takes it takes it takes a sort of it takes courage, right? Right. So I think right. so I think so I think maybe some girl watching it could be like, you know, what maybe maybe I could do it too. Maybe mm-hmm. if, if I see this young woman uh, right. having the courage to um, to take steps to eventually want to marry the man that she loves, then maybe I can do it too. And of course, now when we look back, we're just like, no, problematic. Uh, but I think maybe back in the 90s when it was situated, it, it, it was something that maybe emancipated women. It could be, I'm not saying it did, I'm just saying right, it, right. it. Um, And even even something like, you know, Kabhi Kushi Kabhi Gum is such a problematic movie, right? Mm-hmm. So deeply problematic. Um, right. But, uh, but, but it's also quite interesting. It's also quite interesting when you see a young, a young. Um, it's also quite interesting, you know, when you see a young uh, Karina Kapoor from a timid, uh, you know, middle class Delhi family to go to the UK and just like find herself as this bold. Uh, and of course, the, you know, these are still tropes. These are still very problematic, uh, uh, problematic tropes that they are operating within. Uh, right. But I do think it's quite it's quite entertaining, and there's always some upward movement um, there somewhere. Right. Who knows? And, yeah, and you know what? So yeah. 
it actually just reminds me of this uh, really interesting article I read a while back about uh so the article took a look at how uh, dharma production movies that's essentially produced by karan johar they yeah. have you know matured with the depiction of homosexuality how it went from you know and the idea presented there was that well or uh, maybe what they're trying to do is just like normalize the situation by going from say like how homosexuality was shown in say dostana to how it was shown yeah. in say kapoor and sons about yeah. from going from like using it as like as for humor to making it yeah. a serious issue which you can talk about without yeah. mentioning the word at first and then maybe mm-hmm. like where we are today where we have like romantic movies about homosexuals however they might yeah. fit that trope Yeah. So I mean yeah that's that's, that's a, a context is always a brilliant like yeah. idea to have right but uh, coming back to I feel like yeah, if if we talk about how we like let's say DDLJ um, mm-hmm. you know we can always use that argument but right now if somebody was to say oh I like a Kabir Singh then you're just like no but oh, yeah. the conversation has evolved you know the world has evolved yes yes um, oh. right you're meant to see why this is problematic um right. so I think there's always a difference of context for sure So um anyway just going back to your writing process uh so gurmeer how do you go about your uh, process of writing because is it is it something that just comes to you organically or spontaneously like you know you just have this idea and you just need to write it down or is it something like a, something that you plan out like how do you go about this I don't think I don't know if if you I don't know if you've spoken to other writers but I think the whole, what I will what I believe I think the mm-hmm. whole idea that writing comes to writers organically um and just there are these you know winds and ideas in your brain and all of a sudden there's this motivation where you just you know I'm going to take you know tons of pages and write away my whole life and I'm going to, and I'm going to do it with a glass of whiskey and 10 million cup of cups of coffee through the night i think that's such a goddamn lie uh, it's a lie that tv sells you it's a lie that um you know even books that depict a writing life tells you um i genuinely think i think i think writing takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of work um right. and it takes a lot of research it takes reading it takes um planning it takes organizing um right. and a lot of and and you know skills that you often associate with like daytime jobs uh which right. is scheduling i mean for me for me because i've um because i i did two different books um but they both mm-hmm. uh, i needed to schedule interviews for it so it takes you know scheduling organizing um breaking right. down you know creating a structure um breaking down your characters finding a life for them i think the creative bit is only the meat of uh, your writing process um right. but there's often a lot of logistics that are involved in it um so i think i does writing does writing come naturally to me um maybe writing comes naturally to me uh but i think i mean the i mean the skill might come a sl- slightly easier to me um but i think but i think the process it's very disciplined it it's yeah. very um it's uh the process is often you have to deal with the logistics um and then you eventually get on to writing it it feels so good to like have an author like talk about this process because uh, truth be told like i have spoken to a lot of writers about this and a lot of them do like somewhat talk about this process but not as with as much passion as you described it yeah. because 
I I know it's also about uh, maybe a persona. Like a few authors mm. do want to put out that persona that oh well, you know, it's just this yeah. beautiful poignant thing that happens, which is actually being sold on. But it's great to know. Like I mean, I think and for I know like future authors out there who might be listening to this podcast, it's actually a really great lesson that well, like you might love writing or you might be really good at it, but nothing can come without that disciplining and schedule and I mean, you know this entire I mean, process yeah. that goes into this. Hundred percent, because at the end of the day, what is writing? It's nothing unless you put your ass down on your desk and like written out the words, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's just it. It's just like sit down, write it, and don't wait for a mood to strike because mood will never right. strike. Exactly. Um, like I mean, I mean those yeah. those narratives that you sold that you know, oh, inspiration must come to you, or like I mean, I do get writer's block is a thing, yeah. but sometimes you just have to like push past it, and like the only thing that helps is the process that comes with it. So, sure. uh, so Gurmeer, tell me something. Tell me like this one uh, quirky thing that exists in your entire writing process. You know, like oh, you like you just do X Y Z while writing, or you know, you can only write at night. Something things like that. Like, are there any any such things that even despite being right. part of the schedule that fit into your thing? Like, I'll I'll give you an example. Uh, um, in my previous episode, I was talking to Achal Malhotra, yeah. the author of Separation, yeah. Remnants of a Separation. and uh, she had a very quirky thing that she would only talk there was a very fixed time between which she yeah. could write which was at night like from 10 to 3 in the night was when she could write yeah. so i mean something like that <laughs> do i have a quirky thing when it comes to writing let me think about it i'm pretty sure i do i'm so sure i do i just i it, it's just when you put me in a spot like this i'm just I'm i like to do a bit of thinking um <laughs> please take your time that's not a problem yeah um I don't know if it's quirky but I think I I say the I say I perform it. Okay. Okay. That's so I nice. so whatever I'm writing I will say it out loud eventually right. I would perform it to myself uh right. and then if it fits I think I then I go ahead with writing which which, which means I have right. to do it in a very private space. Um Right. Yeah. So I think that's one quirky thing I always do. I perform so I perform you... I perform what I've written. Okay, so like it's like hand gestures and like voices and everything, or just like it's like I, I mean, with different, it's different with different books. Um, okay. With with my first book, it was with my first book. Um, whenever there was dialogue, I would perform it. Okay. Um, and just to see how it, you know, just to see if the sentence is coming right. Right. Um, if the conversation is natural, because often mm-hmm. when you're writing it, uh, mm-hmm. and then when you say it out loud, you're just you know you, you realize that this is maybe not how people would speak um so i perform so i write my first thing i speak it out and if it feels right. natural let's go if i don't then i keep doing it till it sounds like a natural conversation when it comes to dialogue um with right. my second book um which was um which was about young people and politicians i think there was mm. there were there were bits which were ref- where i was reflecting um and mm. then there were bits where i was um where i was stating so i think the bits mm-hmm. where i'm reflecting i often perform it in a very uh, i would often perform it in a in a 
irreflective tone like the way right. you know if I, i would imagine like a camera in, on my face in a documentary and i sit there and i'm reflecting uh, on what i've understood of the world and all the bits where i was stating uh, or concluding right. i would perform it like a speech as if okay. i'm standing in front of um, 10 million people and i'm saying you know this is what i have to say um okay. but yeah that's how i i think i perform my um, i perform what i write it's quite interesting because uh, like when you were staying, saying all of this the only thought mm-hmm. that crossed like that crossed my mind was in your first book where you write from the perspective of a child and who grows up right uh firstly it might have been i'm assuming it would have been slightly difficult to kind of i don't know enact i don't know enact or kind of assess whether you know that's how you because despite it being your own thoughts mm-hmm. and memories it's just like difficult as say like your mid 20 or 20s yeah. person to kind of behave as a kid in your enactment just to, mm-hmm. just for the purposes of like seeing because the idea being that you wanted to see yeah. whether it fit comes out natural or not no so no but you know i actually did it i actually did it so many times i would because if you look right. at my first draft there are often so many sentences which are a lot more longer um, right you know which which are a lot more longer than especially dialogue sentences which are a lot more right. um longer even because it's first person so all of it is thinking uh, so right. i've had you know i've had sentences and then when i've read it out loud to them and not maybe in a three year old's voice but when i was reading right. it out um i was you know it it would strike me that a three year old would never say that like exactly. a three year old right. would never have the intellect to think this sentence or would never right. have the intellect to um to you know uh, to reflect or reflect in the way that i have reflected here so i think i would often find uh, and i think maybe this is actually how i ended up finding this quirky or like building this quirky thing because when i was writing as a 3 year old i had to sound like a 3 year old um right. you know that i mean no i, I wouldn't i wouldn't talk in a baby voice of course but i would <laughs> say it out loud and every time where i was just like now nah, i can't imagine a kid speaking right. or thinking like that i would take that entire sentence out right no and that actually just brings me to my the second thought that crossed my mind is okay given the fact that uh, the lot of the things that you write about are memories and like raw core ones at that like ones which are very emotional deal with things that you genuinely experience and so here's the thing i'm assuming that uh, a lot of your conversations at home especially in childhood might not have been in english right despite you yeah. like you know your entire family knowing it uh it might have been in punjabi hindi or any other yeah. languages that your family speaks so yeah. while encapsulating this in your book right mm-hmm. did you ever struggle to kind of uh capture your emotions or the language that probably was used in that conversation back then like i remember uh, the for the conversation i think from the time when you found out your nani's nani or your dadi's passport a yeah. uh, pa- uh, passport yeah. from pakistan right and i can imagine that to be a very heated conversation in like hindi yeah. or or like in punjabi right and yeah. uh, i i know so do you think you do you did you struggle to kind of capture that level of anger or emotion in english in which like a language in which the conversation did not happen and you were yeah, just like yeah. penning it down i think right? i think i think it was very it was very it was very difficult to especially particularly that chapter it was very difficult to depict the sort of anger because it's not anger that i really wanted to where that i really wanted to show um hmm. but but i think but i think a reaction 
um, born out of conditioning, right? Anger is something that, you know, you feel angry because you felt it, right? At three, I know that I'm meant to feel angry, even though I might not feel it in that moment um, okay. at a Pakistani passport because I've been conditioned to think it's bad and I'm meant to react in a certain way. Um, and I think one of one of those things for me was to was to was to capture the performance of that, because as a three year old, you know, you're only performing the anger you're meant, you know, you're told that you're meant to feel. Um, right. And I think the third and the third difficult, you know, like you said, how do you how do you translate a conversation like that into into English, which is you know, which is a very you know, which is not the language. Um, it, uh, you know, which is not the best language for an emotion or a moment like that to be captured. I think one thing I did very, uh, one thing that I did very consciously was that I never used, I never switched, um, and I still do that, I never switched words like, um, let's say Babaji. Hmm. You know, I would right. never say God or Godman. Right. 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 Or, or, or if it's never, it's it's never grandma in my in, exactly. in the book. It's always exactly. something I noticed. Like yes. Yeah, it's always daddy nani. It's always ma. Mm. It's always, um, you know, so small things like that. Um, if I'm talking about, yeah, if I'm talking about, um, any of those things, I think the the core essence. I never translate relationships, um, or. Or just, or just how we speak about, let's say, religion or God, or, right. or you know, the way we talk about it in Hindi. And I think, and I think, and I think that might just help um, with with retaining um, the essence of what happened in in the English, and then retaining it in the English language. Yeah. No, it definitely does. I mean, uh, so very honestly, that that was one of the first things that I heard about your book, that uh, it it somehow is captures emotions really well, right? And that, that's one of what my friends told me who'd read your book. And I can see why. Like, I mean, this was the first thing that leapt out me when I was, you know, reading your book. That, yeah. well, you were, things like not switching mm-hmm. Nani and Dadi for a common English, like grandmother yeah. thing. Because after a point of time, language is also, like, there's a lot of socio-cultural context to a language, right? I mean, yeah. like, things like how... Like English just has uncle and no chacha, mama, yeah. tautai, yeah. like that. Yeah. And, and I and I think that becomes very important, especially while talking about mm-hmm. emotions or memories and you know things that affect mm-hmm. them. So something I really yeah. wanted to ask you was, uh, okay, so uh, I am twenty five and I've I like I graduated like two years ago. I did like I was in law school mm-hmm. for five years, and something which I realized and I know for a fact that I, you you were at LSR and now you're at Oxford. Am I? Yeah. Wrong. Yeah. So, right, right. Um, yeah. right. So, everything aside, you do have like your normal life, right? Like what every student yeah. has to go through: assignments, friends, friend groups, uh, all that ego fighting, blah blah. Everything that happens in a person's college life, right? Yeah. And your crazy dating stories, of course. Yeah. But so, what I did notice was that well, around 2016-17, basically when you know you when you you participate. Did, uh, when that video of yours went viral and subsequently you've been thrust into the spotlight right I mean yeah. to the extent that you are a, a public figure of sorts where you do enjoy a good social media following where people scrutinize things that you do mm-hmm. or things that you post about or things that you write about mm-hmm. and your and obviously your work as great as it is it has just propelled you into this 
as as you mentioned right like you become mm-hmm. people assume you are very political and very sad all the time yeah. so that's something okay. very sad um, but it's so fun yeah <laughs> no i mean you you get what i mean that <laughs> yeah, it's yeah that's true is it is it like a how do you handle that life i mean i i get like being a student in itself comes with its own set of issues and yeah. this is just like this very weird scrutiny like trolling trolling from like people on the of the right wing on on your twitter for example think it's not, like that i think it's not been it's definitely not been easy and i don't think mm-hmm. i was prepared for it uh when i was um you know when it when it happened because i was in my first year of college um i don't and i think i learned as i went on um right. how do you i did i did lose out um i did i did lose out on on friendships a lot college groups a lot because because i didn't know how to manage you know life anymore right. um how do you manage really because think about it you know you're you it's your first year in college um you right. anyway don't know how to manage relationship that relationships mm-hmm. and friendships and people mm-hmm. um and then on top of it you have it's uh it's uh, then there's this whole stress of managing work and life and people's perceptions that come with it um and i think i did struggle with it a lot um back then particularly in in lsr uh, i mm-hmm. i learned as i i learned as i went along um right. as 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 one does so my college years weren't exactly um i think my lsr years were not um very full of regular experiences in that sense okay. i mean of course i went to class of course i um you know but but for me the, the two years after ramjir i went to class i came back home mm-hmm. slept and i and i went to work and then i worked and i worked and i worked um so i was either writing the books i was either researching the books i was either um taking meetings i was either doing public events uh mm-hmm. i did miss out on a lot of college i think for me right. um and i haven't and i haven't and it and which is why i say this i i promised myself uh when i graduated alasan i was going to oxford uh, that for one year i'm not going to publish anything and i'm not going to do public events right and i'm not going to engage with um with politics maybe as much as i did back then of course the ca right. happened but which was very organic that's something you know it, you right. just you just one just had to be a part of it um right. but i was conscious of the fact that i wouldn't do it um mm. i wouldn't do it while while i was there i'm going to take one year of this um this anonymity this freedom of not being known of being seen for who i am um right. and, and 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 experience life and relationships and i think it's been the and i think it's been the greatest uh, it's been the greatest most rewarding period of my life in that sense right. um right. yeah no and, and that makes perfect sense i mean just uh if you speak to any particularly like women or uh like people yeah. from locals who actually are politically opinionated like i mean i don't think i get to say this as a privileged man but yeah. i do empathize with this situation wherein being political is very draining it does take yeah. efforts to be politically opinionated and speak out about things that bother you things that you and in fact things that particularly might not be issues in your life but you do recognize the wrongs around you and talking I about think, i i think the anger isn't difficult 
to mm-hmm. feel a certain way and to have an opinion is not difficult i think that comes instinctively um right. i think what's difficult is um is saying that and having to engage with what comes exactly. after right right so i think right. that's just so the anger and opinion is not something i've ever struggled with that's never difficult i think it's the like that's me that's who i am right. i think right. what really, what really does um what really does begin to bother uh, and drains is is having to one have that opinion and then to deal with just days and days of uh, of god knows what yeah i don't know i i get i get what you mean like the and that's exactly what i was going to come to you know, right after that that well like you mentioned ca right like and mm-hmm. it was i remember it being draining for me after a few days to you know argue with people about why it's not like why it's such a bad law like there were people who would be a, you know speak about like in on my friend list or like you know whatever who would be talking about how it actually makes sense and etc and i would yeah. try and engage and try and tell them and after a few days i did feel drained right like, i mean it does take it to and given so and that's where your entire public persona also ties into it i mean i can imagine how bad it was for me it would yeah. have been so much worse for someone who's facing it from say unknown people right like having to engage and like so i mean yeah that is something i sympathize with and i'm glad you took that time off i mean that would have been very rewarding as you mentioned it yeah so 100%. Uh, so gurmeer uh tell me this who if yeah. i ask you i know it's it's a very difficult thing to do for a bibliophile and uh, i i hate doing this to you but i have to uh, you can ask me ियल right like for me my favorite book despite everything that i've ever read is very subject like very yeah. subjectively the kite runner because yeah. uh, it was one of the first books my uh, my mother gifted me the copy when i was yeah. 10 um uh, yeah so no, my me. mother yeah i feel you i think a thousand splendid sons is definitely up there for me um, yeah so no so uh, for me it was if so exactly what i meant exactly why i mentioned subjectively because i know like deep down like very objectively when i'm reading i kind of know that i would place a thousand splendid sons off as a better book and it did affect me emotionally very differently but it just like yeah. i hold like a special emotional value for the guide runner because of other person personal reasons yeah. so if thing um, on so that account you don't I need do. to go into the reasons but like say five books okay. so maybe three books i don't know whatever books okay. for you um, that are very special so um i think the first would be little women uh, one of my my um my librarian in this convent school yes. that i used to study in gifted it to me uh, one of the copies from the book uh, from right. the book rack it was kids under like before uh, class 5 couldn't issue books um mm-hmm. and i really and i would like go every single day uh, to the library in recess mm-hmm. which is any 30 minutes so i would like shove the food like shove food down my throat while running from like one end of the corridor to the other and right. you know spending 25 minutes in the library just to read like right. five five or 10 pages of the book and then leave right. it cuz we couldn't issue it and then my librarian saw it and and when i was leaving the school in grade in grade 5 
um, she gifted it to me. Uh, and I think that's one of the most special books, um, like one of the most, most like that I can't live without. Um, second would be, oh my God. What is this question? Um, I, I understand how difficult this is. Trust me, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think I can live without my copy of um, Arundhati Roy's God of Small Things mm-hmm. because I think that's what just, just pushed me to be a more political citizen. Right. You know, that for me, for me, you know, I keep saying this, for me, um, for me, Activism comes through writing and literature. Um, and that's because of, uh, you know, Arundhati Roy. I came to politics through reading her work um, and reading her, you know, and, and living, you know, living her stories. Um, so definitely that's a very special book. Um, I quite like the book Thief. Okay. Um, because it inspired, I think the book Thief and... Um, uh, and Frank Diary are would be very special um, special books for me because I really needed you know these are books that capture children's lives um, right. in the face of a conflict, right. and I think those are these are books that quite inspired why I wanted Small Acts to be in a child's voice. Um, right. So yeah, I think these these four books. Do I have right. um, do I have to give another? Do I have to give a fifth no, it's one? Fine. It's, no, it's fine. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's I think, I think oh, there is this one book uh, that's very special to me. Um, in fact, two. One is called Small Acts of Freedom and the other is called The Young and the Restless. I don't think <laughs> I ever live without them. Uh, yeah. Of course, of course. <laughs> hey, do you, do you happen to know the author though? I've heard, I've heard about I, her, but I've heard she's quite, a, she's quite a character. I'm not sure if I'm a yeah. fan of her. Yeah, her I was, I was is, just... Yeah, I was listening to this podcast, dude. Like, she sounds very political and sad, yeah. and just like yeah. does does this these odd things about like act reading out her work to herself. It's just weird. Yeah, too. yeah. She's a bit, she's a bit <laughs> of a strange character, but her yeah. books are great. So everyone yeah. must read it. That that I can't stress enough. One, they are actually really great. I'm not even kidding you. But I'm yeah, like I'm glad yeah. you mentioned Arundhati Roy uh, because you know, I remember reading uh, God of Small Things for the first time and. Uh, so, uh, by the time I was reading it, I, I think I read it in my second or third year of college. So, I was about 19 or 20, I think, when I read it. And uh, I remember reading it and feeling, at first, I think about for the first 150 pages, I felt very underwhelmed to the extent that I felt, okay, this is just well-written stuff. But I wasn't really feeling anything about the book or anything come up, apart from like these moments here and there. And then, yeah. I don't know, all of a sudden, uh, I... Uh, I'm pretty sure you remember the theater scene, right? Like uh, where they go and work. And suddenly the book overwhelmingly hit me. It's just like, yeah. I, and and that was, that's the beauty of her writing. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of her work. And yeah, like I think I would, I would place it on my top five list as well. Uh, so yeah, Gurmir, now that your dinner's mm-hmm. here, I think I'll wrap this up. Just, just one, like <laughs> one last question before we go. Um, so are you planning, what, what are, what's what's in the future? Like, are you currently working or are you, like, are you, do you still have starting left? Do you plan on, like, writing more in the future? Is there anything immediately coming up? Um, I do plan to, I do plan to write more um, and I do want to study more, for sure. Um, 
So those two things are very, very standard. Uh, but I think right now I'm definitely giving myself some time uh, because for, for, for the last three years, you know, like I said, my college years, um, it, I went from one thing to the other. And then, you know, while, doing my, yeah. while I was doing my master's, even though I wasn't writing, you know, even, even though I wasn't writing, uh, it was still a very draining degree. Um, a master's is very expensive. Yeah. Um, I do want to take some time and just see where it goes. So I think I definitely want to write more. I definitely want to study more um, because LSR was difficult. Um, I just kept on working and I kept on working and I kept on right. working. Internships, writing books, events, marketing books, um, book tours, um, and then summer schools, applying to colleges. All of these right. things were, you know, these were very, and, and of course, you know, your regular exams in college and tests and assignments. Um, um, and participating in societies, uh, you know, so all of that was quite overwhelming. Um, and then, and then the master's degree, even though I wasn't working um, the way mm -hmm. I would, it was still very, very draining. Um, okay. So right now, I am taking a little time to myself, and and yeah, I'll see, I'll see, I'll see where life takes me. I don't have any, I don't have any concrete plans. Well, Gurmayar, I really, really hope that you do write some more stuff because I genuinely enjoyed reading your first book. I'll make sure I get to your second book soon, but I really hope that you write more. And thank you so much for doing this with us. This was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so sorry for annoying you so much by changing the date. Thank you. <laughs> that's okay. That's not, that's not an issue. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Thank, I had thank so you. much fun speaking to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, to check out the rest of our podcast or work, please uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel or subscribe to our podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Kitabi Karwan. Uh, we do a lot of other stuff as well. We post about books. We talk to authors on Instagram lives. We discuss books on different uh, platforms. So yeah, I think you might like it. Also, we do giveaways and sometimes we organize fun contests to question and answers, polls. So Please reach out to us with different feedback or if you want to see us do something different and we'll get back to you. Thank you for listening.